It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one. You know, in this age of social collapse and plague, it's easy to forget that the 2016 presidential election was a clusterfuck of gargantuan proportions. Russian spies, WikiLeaks, war in Ukraine, Mueller report, election interference, all spelling maybe the first chapter in the end of the American experiment? Well, HBO has a great new doc deep diving this entire ordeal. Co-directed by film great Alex Gibney and Javier Alberto Botero, Agents of Chaos is a doc that parses exactly what happened to America during what's become the most insane election ever, at least so far. Botero is on the show to tell me more. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. All right, so Javier, I, 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 I covered this pretty closely in Russia as well. I, w- I was there for a bit, the DNC hack and all of the sort of espionage intrigue surrounding it. I felt like it was a massive rabbit hole. You spent three and a half years doing this. How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I, I I can't deny there are there are many rabbit holes. You know, there's a there's a war in here. Um, it, what part to you, as someone who covered it, feels like the rabbit hole? Is it the whole thing? Is it the notion of Russian interference in the election 2016, or was it that those hacks particularly? Uh, okay, so I have to tell you the the troll factory stuff. I could give almost less of a shit about. Because I, I thought that was the one that was so, it was so difficult to really gauge and measure how, how effective it really was. Even though, I mean, I, I, I would say it was clearly effective, but it was, you know, the, the hardest one to put an actual metric on, on like how far did some of this influence operation, how did this, you know, how did it actually affect the, the election, the vote? To me, the, the, the insane rabbit hole of it was, was basically, I mean, the hack and dump and then the coordination between Manafort and, and I mean, you gesture towards this in the film and the Kremlin to some extent. Because when I was covering uh, the, the hack originally, I just spent a bunch of time covering the war in Eastern Ukraine. And it was just so obvious that the Kremlin had, had, been, had been meddling there. And, you know, you had the little green men and you had the Russian-backed separatists. But also the name Manafort popped up with Yanukovych. And then to see him become campaign manager, it was just sort of like, well, this is now obvious that there's connections to the Kremlin. Because if you look at someone like Yanukovych and who, who they were to the Kremlin and, and Manafort being that close, it, it immediately became insane to me. So the rabbit hole was, I think, just how far this got and how that salient point didn't even register with the public of how, how close this individual was to like real, real Russian power brokers. So I mean that the, it, it, my short answer was that the the Manafort, Klimnik, all that rabbit hole was I think it was just such a smoking gun. Yeah, so it's that's funny that you were in in that position to be able to see that right away. Um, you know, as were you know a handful of people who were aware of what uh, of Manafort's history. I say a handful. You know, we're talking about probably a few dozen people in the U.S. who had been following what was going on in Ukraine uh, in the years leading up to 2016 and were aware of who Paul Manafort was um, and what he had been doing out there for a decade at that point. Um, you know, we have a few of those people, uh, those people in our in our film who have the same reaction that, that you did. So it's, it's funny that you had that, that sort of like immediate recognition of, oh my God, this guy is the campaign manager? 
don't don't people realize like who he is and what his connections are to to Russia, especially when you know that's that's happening right around the same time that you have this sort of um, this this brewing awareness. Um, of course, Manafort became the campaign manager before the 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 hacks became public. But you know, not that long before, and uh, certainly, sort of, was still rising to to prominence in the campaign later in the summer. And you know, it was just uh, he seemed like the last person you would want running your campaign if there were you know brewing suspicions that your campaign might be uh, a pawn of the Kremlin, right? Um, and and it turns out that you know he he had this. Yeah, very strange relationship with people very close to the Kremlin. Um, I, I think it's uh, you talk about the rabbit hole. You know, even just in 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 the last you know two minutes, we're we're talking about trolls. We're talking about Paul Manafort and and, and these personal relationships he has to people in power in, in Russia. We're talking about hackers. Um, There's so many different components that came together. One of the th- hard things about the rabbit hole of this story is that you. You know, you start going down it. I'm sure you found this in your reporting too. You start going down it, and suddenly there's a fork, and there's another fork, and there's another fork, and and then you think, well, I'm going down to the right, but now it feels like I'm back in the same tunnel I was in before. It's what this this story. It the story still seems that way to me, where the the tunnels all intersect. You're not quite sure how building that sort of 3D map of what all of this 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 you know rabbit Warren looks like. Is, is kind of impossible, but what we can do is we can identify the big kind of like, <laughs> you know, the big thoroughfares. And I think the big thoroughfares are those three that I just outlined and, and which we in, in the film, um, have as, as different sections. I think you have, you have, you know, these, these different prongs of the Russian interference in 2016. And, and one of the things we try to do with the film is to present this is to take it out of the world of the rabbit hole. You know, we chase down a lot of details. We dig into a lot of the, 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 you know, we dig into to all the details of the stories, but we try to do it within this framework that can help people actually understand what happened in 2016, understand how, um, not just, uh, you know, who did what, but why we should care about it. Um, you know, uh, how we should actually, how we should actually, um, understand, you know, what we should be thinking about for, for, you know, elections to come in terms of interfe- not just interference, but in terms of other people, other political actors taking advantage of the same vulnerabilities that Russia took advantage of in 2016 have an influence mm-hmm. in our country. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I have to say, this is probably one of the, I think it might be the best overview I've seen of this whole, this whole fiasco. I, I think in part, because you, you don't seem to fall into the trap of really playing the politics of this. I think the things you, you, the film really established as well that I, that's my takeaways as well is that, you know, the Mueller report is actually quite damning. There are some things in it that are really, that are, that, that don't come to full conclusions on collusion, but it's, it's very damning. And then the stuff that it was clearly trying to prove was obstruction of justice, which it does, but none of this lands well because everyone wanted this sort of Manchurian candidate. But in the end, this the swamp that actually was was surrounding it was really the takeaway, and this is clearly a, a problem for our democracy going forward. And I think you you all, you you did that really really well because I think that that's the thing is that this event was so insane, and now we're looking at it, you know, with retrospectively, and I don't think we're we're like fully aware of just how insane it was. 
Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. I think it's um the narrative sort of took off in so many different directions after 2016. Um, you know, there were there was that sort of, you know, everybody I feel like <laughs> you can divide up everybody in into three camps basically when it comes to the story. You know, you got one side that's saying that follows the sort of the 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 Trump, President Trump line, right? It's a witch hunt. It's a hoax. It was all made up. It was a Democratic plot. On the other side, you have Manchurian candidate. Trump is in bed with with Putin. We're mm-hmm. going to find the the damning you know emails at some point. And the, and the third group is is a group of people who are not sure what to what really to believe. They know something happened, but was it really a big deal? It's kind of hard to tell. There are a hundred different stories, and I was never really quite sure how they all fit together. And the last, and I kind of don't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> and, you know, I think uh, it, it's it's sad because when you look at what actually happened in 2016, it's, you know, it's 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 hard to uh, to it's it's impossible to uh, to really map out all of those those rabbit holes that we talked about. It's impossible to, for, you know, I, I don't expect that anyone will will go and, you know, memorize every last page of the Mueller report and know exactly what happened there or let alone the, you know, Senate report that followed up that has its 1,600 pages or whatever, um, you know, a little appendix on on Mueller. Um, it, but I, I don't think it's hard to step back and take a broader look at what happened, um, what a foreign country tried to do to to us, to our political system, what we allowed to have happen. And to just at that broad level, you know, um, understand that. And and if you do actually understand that what happened broadly, you know, I I don't understand how someone cannot feel outrage about about what happened. The fact that so so many people in in our country don't have that sense of outrage about what happened in 2016, I think is one of the, you know, it was one of the the driving reasons for for this film um, ending up as, as, uh, you know, where we did with it. You know, we, we, we worked on it for a long time. Uh, we, we considered a lot of different approaches, but I think in the end, um, it made sense to give that broad picture to do that recap of, of what happened. And, and we, and we chose, I mean, very specifically to focus on, to, to stop the story. You know, we have a little epilogue at the end, but, but we, we end the story at, at election day, 2016, largely speaking. It, it, we didn't. We didn't. We wanted to to tell the story of what actually happened in that election with this interference, and to not get lost in all the details of what happened afterwards. Because it, you know, we that that's almost been lost in the political fighting of the last few years, right? Um, everyone trying to completely really throw down on their interpretation of what happened and dividing <laughs> into these camps. And it's like, let's go back to what actually happened. Let's let's just look at the facts of 2016 and and consider anew. And if at the end of that, you're not outraged, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you, what you, you know, your, your allegiance is to, to our political system at that point. Right. Well, that's the thing is the facts of it, as it, as it were, it, it, it's truly, it, it was a complete successful attack by a, a very, you know, very belligerent foreign power that at the time that there were major flashpoints all over the world with it. And, that has completely been lost, like you said. And now we're looking back at the same system and, you know, it's 2020 now, you know, we're like, a, what, a month and a bit away from the the next presidential election. And and have we solved any of the problems that have that were outlined in the documentary that you just made? 
Yeah, this is this is the the remarkable thing, right? Um, about the fact that we spent that our that the country spent so many years debating what happened in 2016, and yet you know largely there's a consensus. I don't think people need to watch our film necessarily to believe this. There's a consensus that Russia did interfere in the election. Um, and, uh, I think it's the lack of understanding that how profound that interference was, um, that's caused the problem because even though there's a consensus that Russia didn't interfere in the election, you don't seem to see a whole lot of outrage, you know, about the fact that they're interfering again, that's been confirmed. Um, you know, the Trump administration has, has confirmed that Russia's interfering in the election. You know, they throw on there like, oh, you know, China's interfering too and Iran is interfering too. Um, you know, the reporting is, is making it pretty clear that Russia is the big problem again. Yeah. Uh, it's not China and Iran. Those are, of course, uh, you know, uh, President Trump's hobby horses and needs to keep throwing them out there and, and, um, well, it's also the other thing you, we have to remember as well is like, I don't think we're, I think certainly you'll see some of these, these, you know, influence operations of troll farms, et cetera, and some of these bigger accounts. But I think the bigger thing you're also going to see is, I mean, I think it was around the time that some of the Burisma stuff had come out about, uh, Joe Biden's son, there had been reportedly, you know, and verified by some cybersecurity companies, attacks against Burisma coming coming from Russia. And I keep thinking about that, like the Trump administration ha- or the Trump campaign hasn't used that yet. So what's coming next? Because in 2016, you know, you have that, you cover well the, the infamous line where he says, you know, Russia, if you're listening, find uh, Clinton's emails, kind of calling the shot of, of, of another dump. And now like we're a month and a bit away, there's still some time for another dump of something else that, you know, we don't even, we're not foreseeing just yet. Absolutely. And look, there are reports about um, this, this Ukrainian lawmaker who is passing documents um, over to, to uh, journalists and to, you know, U.S. <laughs> US political figures trying to, trying to provide dirt on, on Biden. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's back to 2016. It's this, um, you know, people... Uh, we talked so much about collusion um, over the last few years. And in the film, one of the things we tried to make clear was that um, it, it wasn't, if you're looking for that, you know, there's a great line from from historian Timothy Snyder in our, our film about, you know, the, the fact that you're, it's a mistake to look for the, you know, to look for the the, the written document. I mean, he talks about how it's seduction, not, not collusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, Another way to think about it is is it's not really collusion when it's happening in in the public eye. It's absolutely it's just was just happening in the public eye. It was a call and response. It was you know Trump saying emails, 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 making clear that that's important. And suddenly we have emails that are connected to Hillary Clinton and the Democrats coming out that are a potent weapon. It's it's uh, you know it's Roger Stone writing an article about how the election is going to be rigged. At the same time that that Donald Trump is talking about how there's going to be a rigged election, and Stone actually sends that article to Guccifer, two point yep. and you know highlights it, and then over the coming months you have this campaign by Russian actors to help create evidence for for a rigged election, a campaign that never really came to to fruition because it didn't have to be. I mean they were they were sitting on on a bomb that never went off. It was a bomb that was intended to go off if Hillary Clinton won the election. 
Well, that's the other thing too. I think you're right. I think it was it was intended for that. But then at the same time, you know, the one thing I remember talking to intelligence experts and people in the IC right after all of this happened was it was a textbook disinformation or influence operation because most of all, what it did as, as its crux was led with the truth, right? It, it dumped these emails that showed that the Democratic, you know, the DNC was in fact corrupt in some ways and was propping up a candidate over another. And that to lead with that and then allow all other facets of it, of, of it be untrue is fine. But the first, you know, the, the top thing is it's relatively true. And I think that that's why it landed so well. That's another thing I think the doc brings up. It's that, you know, sure, Russian Russian espionage worked really well and they hacked a bunch of candidates and stuff got dumped and blah, 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 and influence operations, operations, et cetera. But also, you know, there was a there was a ready and receiving audience <laughs> that, yeah. that ran with the whole thing. And if we weren't weakened in that way, then maybe it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, it was it was definitely something that we we tried to to highlight. I think it, it was um uh I I think it's it's impossible to look at 2016 and look at the details of what uh what the Russian government did. I think particularly the GRU hack and dump operation and not say that it had some impact on the election. Mm-hmm. I think with how close the election was, it 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 was clearly there in the mix um and contributed mm-hmm. to Trump's victory. Um Absolutely. But it's but it was in the mix for a very messy election, a sort of um, perfect storm of factors that I think broke in in Trump's direction, um, and it was there. It was a substantial one, but I think uh, you know it it as we you know say in the film, you know it fell on very fertile ground here. Very- um, you know the it was it was really a very well tuned for being such a sloppy operation in a lot of ways and such a <laughs> sort of uh shoot from the hip um operation it was uh very well tuned to have an impact in our incredibly dysfunctional and polarized you know political environment it's incredible that it's it's an attack that continues to have an impact it had an impact and then it had an it had a continued impact after the election in our debates over it, um, in that political polarization that we talked about. You know, the Manchurian candidate versus the witch hunt, right? Um, that chaos that was caused continues to be caused, and it's it's you know it's it's paid incredible dividends. The remarkably uh, effective attack when you consider that the number one goal was not make. Donald Trump president, but destabilize the United States, cause chaos there. Absolutely. Now for you doing this, this whole film in Russia, how was it? Was it difficult to, to work there? Were you ever getting any, any trouble from any unnamed individuals who kept following you? <laughs> if you know what I'm getting at? Uh, had a few. Um, so I spent uh, a, a few months in, in Russia in total, um, uh, in Russia and in, in Ukraine. Um, you know, for the most part, uh, we obviously this isn't wasn't our first time at the rodeo, and we uh, took a lot of precautions. We were very careful from day one. We were working with with uh, people in Russia um, with some some amazing journalists out there who helped us um, understand uh, the the environment. And 
um, you know, in part for ourselves, but also in large part for for the people we worked with and for the the sources we were working with, we were so careful from from day one in terms of our, our uh, approach. Um, that said, anybody who any who knows anything about you know the Russian security services knows that it's kind of silly to to go and and work there and pretend you're not. You know, there's not a high possibility that you're being tracked that. Potentially, you're being you're being tailed if you're that interesting. Um, we had a few weird uh, moments um, that I attribute to in in terms of in person encounters uh, <laughs> that I that I took as uh, you know early on there was a moment. I mean, just to, to get to it, there was a there was a strange uh, occasion where a, a three star uniformed you know Russian army general. Sat down next to me, uh, next to me on a long train train ride, and uh, um, fell asleep with um, seemingly classified documents spilling out of his bag. Um, I chose not to touch any of them, um, <laughs> I, and and I thought this is so silly that we're it at least confirms for me that 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 uh, we're not if if this is. The, the entrapment, it obviously seems to be, it confirms for me that, that you know, we're not seen as that big a risk because they put the B team on it. Uh, and because uh, this is this is pretty, pretty bad. Um, I know enough not to reach down and, and touch the classified papers, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but obviously the Russian intelligence services are uh, world class. <laughs> um, there aren't many countries that... Uh, have their spying capabilities. Are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And domestically, right. I mean, like it's a, it's a, you know, they, they may be, be the top, right. It's, it's, it's really, um, I was under no illusions when I was there that, that, um, everything we did could be tracked. And, um, so that, that was, yeah, there were, but there were circumstances that were hairy. Um, I, I think the bigger concerns for us, uh, in country were, um, uh, when we were working on the troll farm and the Wagner stories, anything having to do with Yevgeny Prigozhin, who um, you know is connected to a, a number of uh, cases of journalists being murdered, um, mm-hmm. including actually in in Russia, um, and so I think that the the greater concern was always for the people we were working with, uh, the Russians we were working with, uh, as foreign journalists uh i i think we we had actually um a bit more protection some, some degree of a, yeah some degree of protection because you you get to leave because we get to leave yeah and, and because it's a bigger you know it, it becomes an international scandal when a when a foreign journalist is targeted right especially someone say like like uh you know like alex gibney right if alex mm-hmm. gibney is something happens to him it's an international cause celebrity. If something happens to to an amazing investigative journalist who we're working with, who works for like a local investigative paper in St. Petersburg, Russia, it's a story in Russia, but not necessarily a story anywhere else. And not no, and you can't necessarily do anything ex- about it at that point. Because it's expected. But it's expected, yeah. And so uh, so we worried about that. Uh, uh, Prigozhin is, is um, uh, a thug. And... Uh, there are too many cases of people. And I mean, Wagner, Wagner is just a a pretty, Wagner, every time I try to explain what Wagner is to some people 
And for the uninitiated, it's, it is essentially the Kremlin's version of Blackwater, the notorious mercenary outfit from the US that was you know, implicated in all these war crimes. But Wagner is, is like an unleashed version of that where they're connected to all sorts of things all over the world, including the murder of, of a few journalists in Central African Republic. They yeah. just ambushed them. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty nasty group of people. And this guy, he, he helped run him. And he's all, he, and he also owned the troll, the troll farms. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the combination of these things is actually something that, that people haven't, uh, realized the full impact of yet. It's not something, you know, we didn't have uh, Russian tanks rolling, uh, into down the streets of, of DC in 2016, right? We only had the, we had the trolling part of the operation, but we didn't have that mercenary group, the Wagner group. They were, they've been very active in other, um, in other places where the internet research agency trolls have been active. So in Ukraine, that's where Wagner sort of, you know, cut its teeth uh, in Ukraine and in Syria as well. Um, the other sort of major theater of uh, Russian conflict over the last decade. Um, and uh, what you saw in both those, both those countries and both those conflicts is of course that, you know, the IRA troll factory and the Wagner mercenary group, both of which are, you know, controlled in this, in this Yevgeny Prigozhin uh, network uh, under, under his, his conquered sort of holding group. Um, you know, there's some rough coordination in what they do. There's coordination in terms of the overall strategic goals. Um, and sometimes it gets pretty granular. You know, it's not like the IRA trolls are sitting there talking every day to the mercenaries out in the field, but they're absolutely after the same goals and they support each other and what they do. Um, it, it's it's that combination that that people don't fully appreciate and that we, unfortunately, which we didn't get a chance to, to really highlight enough in the film because, frankly, there are 500 things, you know, other things that didn't also got short shrift just by the nature of, of this massive story we were covering – um, one of the, the things that we, we saw in our research is just how much this, this has become an ongoing sort of concern, the IRA political manipulation plus Wagner conflict uh, machine that is now being sold as sort of like a package deal um, in all of these, these countries. It's been primarily in Africa, um, but you have it being sold by uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin's employees to people who want a sort of, um, you know, uh, conflict in a box, right? Hire yourself some trolls to create, to, to help drive wedges in, in between political groups, to help take, make, you know, intensify political polarization and generate extra conflict. And, oh, well, you know, wouldn't it be helpful then to have some Russian mercenaries who come in and, and you know, provide security in your country where that's happening? You know, we found this chilling map um, in some documents that were leaked to us of uh, internal Prigozhin company um, strategy document where they were looking at um, uh, unrecognized countries in Africa, basically splinter uh, countries that could be broken off where they could cause civil wars. Um, it, 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 That's it, insane. It's insane. And this is going on right now. It's it's literally it's it's like it's like it really is like some Bond level villain. <laughs> it absolutely is. It, like know. it's cr it's crazy. It's it seems like a like a like an actual like a plot from some ridiculous Natsec movie that I don't even think is going to be good. It's, it's absolutely I mean, what it is. It's hard to watch our movie like and say like, like 
uh, I mean, look, just look at what happens in our movie in 2016, right? In our country. Imagine you you went into a coma in 2015. You wake up today and you watch our movie, right? It's the first, you know, obviously this is the first thing you're going to do. You've, you know, you, you've you've woken up from the coma and you, you, uh, you know, you have a, a, a sandwich and you sit up and turn on HBO on Wednesday um, and, and, and watch four hours of our film to catch up on what happened in 2016 and why Donald Trump is president. Imagine seeing all of that for the first time. Part of the reason it's not shocking is because we saw it was all it came out in drips and drabs over four years, right? It's like a Bond, it is like a Bond movie. It's like a Bond movie plus a Bourne movie plus, you know, uh, uh, War Games. Plus Burn After Reading. <laughs> plus Burn After Reading, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, the other thing too is that it sort of, the whole thing is just, it completely played out like somewhat of a comedy of errors. And then also just, just this this high this highly sophisticated spy film and that's that's what really i think that's what also in part fuels the you know the witch hunt versus manchurian candidate is that on the one hand this story is like so fantastic and ridiculous and on the other it's like very it's like clearly russian tradecraft like russian espionage tradecraft at its best and sort of deciphering between those two thematic polar opposites is I think it's really hard for people to understand. It's like on the one hand, you're like Trump's getting peed on or watching two prostitutes pee on a bed or whatever it is. And then the other, you do actually have Manafort having a really, a really, you know, highly suspicious uh, dinner with what we now know as a, as a Russian intelligence officer. Yeah. So it kind of, it runs the gamut, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's the, it's that mix of, uh, incredibly suspicious sort of circumstances and characters who end up being sort of uh, who end up being innocent and who end up being not important, who end up being just sort of clowns. Um, and then these, these very savvy agents of chaos um, in involved in the story who were chasing after some, you know, uh, Usually chasing after, uh, looking out for themselves, and, and chasing after money, um, for the most part. Um, you know, Paul Manafort certainly seems that he was trying to to get his you know tens of millions of dollars in in debt forgiven. Right, he was in in hock to a Russian oligarch um, who had been chasing him down and looking for him, um, and suddenly he has something to sell, which is once again political access, um, and mm-hmm. it's it's not the deal that signed in blood that says that, you know, Donald Trump will follow orders from the Kremlin. It's you, you know, you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Um, exactly. Yeah. But that's, it's, it's by design. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's also great tradecraft. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes it, and it, it makes it utterly deniable. It's the constant, it's the constant uh, ability for the Kremlin to have plausible deniability over foreign operations. Right. And uh, the fact that it's, um, the fact that we've done nothing about it, the fact that we have all of these facts, again, you, 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 you watch the, our, our film and, and you, you see all those, you see all, all, all of the facts in, in one place. Right. And uh, I can't say that our, our, our film has, has every last story in it. It's just, there, there are too many, there's too much that we know about what happened in 2016 to possibly, cover everything in the in the depth i would have wished we uh, having seen it you 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 know we we cover a hell of a lot and uh we cover the major pieces 
and you get through the end of it. And, um, you know, the fact that you can watch through all of that, understand what happened and then hear that there is interference happening today. Um, you know, that Russia is at it again, that they were trying to do something in 2018, that they're at it in a major way in 2020. Oh, and by the way, other countries are interested too. And, and we don't have, it's not a, a, a national uproar. I mean, I think it will never stop being a shock to me. It's, it's, it is, it is crazy to me that, that, um, you know, uh, the Trump campaign would think that it was, uh, that the way to counter um, news about Russian interference in this coming election is by saying, well, look, China and Iran are doing it too on the other side, helping Biden. They should be, they're trying to highlight more interference. I mean, this should be like a national, national shame, national embarrassment. We have done so little to deter the country that caused in that interfered in 2016 that now everybody's in on it <laughs> and that's that's well i mean I, I mean and that's where we're at and i think that this entire period will be a, a national historic shame like it will be i think once the once things settle at some point people are going to look back on how just how truly much of a clusterfuck this was and the damage it's done to not only american institutions but it's you know, its ability for deterrence, its ability to defend itself, et cetera. I think that's right. And I think we're I think all going to, I think we're all going to feel our, our sense of shame aware where we were in that and what part we played in the political polarization. And, you know, and I keep thinking, I have always thought, you know, 2016 was, you know, there were, we have, you know, and our two political parties are two, 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 two drunk guys at a bar, you know, and they're, and they're down in shots and getting in a fight and suddenly the you know the russian bartender comes over and starts pouring shots you know it's it's not <laughs> there was already a fight going on then they take the fight outside yeah. and the russian bartender stabs one of them in the back you know um but it's yep. it's there was already a fight happening it was already uh uh we were already i think in a place where um to be in a place where this could work against us where these things could work where they could continue to work even though we already know about them exactly yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. We're going to look back with shame on this this absolutely time period. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Javier. And uh, the doc's great. And uh, I guess you must be looking forward to some uh, well earned uh, time off. <laughs> uh, I am. I'm. I'm. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks for for highlighting the film. I, I hope uh, people enjoy it. And I hope, uh, especially that that. Um, you know, I hope it gets out to, to people who haven't haven't ever taken a look at the whole story in one place because I think it's important too. Totally agree. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hello, Mr. Lorenzo. Hello, how are you today? Hello, Ben. It's great to talk to you again. It seems like we talked uh, just yesterday. It's weird. It's weird. Right? It's almost it's almost like somebody in this in this gruesome twosome. Yeah, forgot for, didn't record himself properly. So we're doing this for a second time. <laughs> it's because we care. We care about quality. Quality control, my friends. Quality control. All right, so let's get to it. We're back on Cipher. You're back. It's been a two-week hiatus. We're looking good now. We're in, we're in business. First story, a, a, a Jason Kepler classic, which is just to say basically him contacting Twitter, <laughs> essentially trolling them. When um, Mr. Trump, our president, was diagnosed with COVID and people sort of erupted on, on that wonderful hellscape, uh, making jokes about how the president will die and kind of hoping he would die. Yeah, this is a as you said, this is a great uh, Jason Kepler classic because um, you know everyone on Twitter was talking about the news of last week, uh, Donald Trump falling sick and getting COVID, and uh, I don't know about you, but my timeline was filled with uh, you know either news about it or mostly people joking about uh, him dying and wishing him to die, and and uh, you know so some some of those jokes and memes were funny, others were not so much. But yeah, this was basically the theme of the day on Twitter, and um, Jason was smart enough to say, to think about, well, I wonder what Twitter thinks about this. Is this okay? Are they gonna like uh, uh, put a stop to this? What do they think? And Twitter responded pretty quickly and said that um, actually no, uh, this was against their their rules, and that they would uh, either suspend accounts or delete tweets depending on the situation. And this was very confusing because. Uh, this is a new rule. Um, you know, I'm sure it's happened to you many times. It ha- it's happened to me. It happens so much more often to women on Twitter. You know, everyone, like a lot of people wish death on other people and harass and abuse people verbally on Twitter and not much happens to them. So it is a legitimate question. Why is Trump different? Is there a special rule for him? Well, that's the thing. It's like how many people of color, uh, trans people, Journalists like myself, I've had death threats on Twitter. I've had tons of death threats on Twitter. Have gone through this, and this 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 entire this this multi billion dollar Silicon Valley behemoth does nothing about it. But the minute Mr. Trump does gets a gets a gets a joke about him potentially dying from COVID, you know they they're willing to change their their entire way of doing things like just throw just throw their terms of uh, terms of service out the window yeah it's very confusing it just doesn't it just doesn't seem like they really have any criteria that they can go back to you know they have a set of rules but every time something like something unexpected happens they change the rules so you know it, it really begs the question does silicon valley really know how to moderate content on their own platforms do they have any idea what they're doing I agree completely. I mean, and you know, I I I wasn't one of the people making jokes uh, about the potential death of Mr. Trump to COVID nineteen. Just and only because I think it's you know, well, it's bad juju, personally. Yeah, and it's not. Our it's job. also kind of your right. It's also kind of your right if you're a comedian and you're sort of some some sort of outspoken person on on Twitter to make jokes like that. You know what I mean? It's not. That's not a real death threat. Like, come on. Like I've seen real death threats sit on Twitter for days. I've received them myself. I'm sure you have as well. 
that's a big difference from making a crack about someone maybe dying of COVID-19 or, or otherwise. Like that's, you know, it's, it's not like it's sure it could be, could be seen in bad taste, but it's not necessarily like a, a, a dangerous concept. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know why they needed to make this exception really. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't either. All right. Here's another one. Another great, uh, great individual who has a great Twitter presence who, uh, completely and falsely accused a man of being a pedophile uh, without any any information whatsoever, just because he's a billionaire and he can. Uh, Elon Musk, he got rid of his communications or comms team, basically, at Tesla, one of the world's most valuable car companies. He basically iced the one department in the entire company that would deal with journalists and their questions, which is just like so classic Elon Petty Musk. Yeah, this is much more, this is the kind of news that's a little bit easier to understand. Um, in the last few years, it's been, it's become very clear that Elon Musk is uh, one of those people that will scream fake news every time. Yeah, He thinks it's convenient, especially when there's a story he doesn't like. Um, and this is just the last, uh, you know, just another step in that direction. Um, he thinks that his, himself and his company don't need to be accountable to anyone, uh, and he certainly does not want to be accountable to journalists. And uh, it appears that that's, um, you know, that's why he can this whole PR department. But I personally think this is going to backfire because at some point, as a any company needs to interact with journalists, you know, it's not like just because you don't have a PR person anymore or a PR team, we'll, we will stop writing about your company. Uh, in fact, we, you know, this may lead to more mistakes or coverage that will be even more negative uh, because they don't have any, you know, they don't have a channel anymore to interact with the press. So everyone loses, I think. Yeah, everyone loses. And also it's just like this like growing instance of Silicon Valley companies becoming these fascistic private entities that swear against, you know, journalism and and the right for people to know and to and to hold them accountable in any way possible. It's really insane when you see companies that are just they do bad things and they seem totally shocked at the concept in which journalists would hold them accountable in any way possible. Like this is this is so classic Elon Musk. It's like if you don't agree with what he's doing, he, you are literally the enemy. It's you know, it's right out of the Trump playbook. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's the sad part about this. It's right out of the uh, Trump playbook, and uh, you know, perhaps I'm naive, but I really wish someone that you know claims to want to make the world better and as companies like Tesla and SpaceX focused on, in theory, you know, a better future would would lead by example on something so basic like respecting freedom of speech and. Uh, First Amendment, but yeah. Also, another reason not to trust uh, Elon Musk: guy doesn't inhale. Like, let's be honest. I've seen that clip. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't that's think that's the uh, most narc. That's the most narc shit I've ever seen in my life. In my life. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So this is the final one. It's me now. I'm on the hot seat. All right. Oh yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, quickly exchange seats. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Ben, tell me about this story. You and. Um, uh, your colleague Mark and um, yeah, you and your usual team have uh, have some some have a bombshell of a report here. 
We do. We, Mac Lemmer and I, have prepared a, an 8,000 word feature, which pulls from uh, court documents, uh, internal sources, and thousands of records from the encrypted chat room of a neo-Nazi terror group called The Base. And we've essentially did an entire deep dive explaining the birth of this, this, this organization all the way to its current form, which is, you know, somewhat unknown. Uh, but I will say this, you know, this thing is crammed with so much information about how a domestic terrorist organization like the base with, you know, Nazi ideologies, how it created, nearly created a stateside insurgency against the U.S. government. And it was led by a man named Ronaldo Nazaro. It's pretty shocking. It's a pretty shocking story. It's really, I, I think it's quite well written. I think it's something y'all should pick up and give it a read, especially on a weekend. It's a good weekend read, I think. Yeah, if you can really like, like um, sit with like it. It's like a beach, almost like a beach read. It's too, it's too bad. It's uh, maybe too late for that. Exactly. Well, this is, I mean, we're in social distancing uh, season, so. <laughs> yeah, but jokes apart, I mean, this sounds like a, this is a, you know, a very hard story to pull off. Is there anything that, yeah, can you tell tell our listeners a little bit about how you guys uh, even approached this story? Uh, how did it, how was it born and how, how did it get to this point? So we've been covering the base for two years now. We broke the first ever story on this organization, sort of parallel group to Adam Waffen Division, which is another domestic terrorist organization. I've been covering terrorism now for since, well, I guess since 2013, actually, when I was with The Wire. And, you know, this is just a, an accumulation of sources inside of the group, ways in which I can fact check things through other sources. And just, you know, it's, it's a compendium of, of information highways that Mac and I have, and, and Zachary Kamel, uh, have, have been going over, pouring over for the better part of the last six months. And it really does depend very much so on these thousands of records that we, we have, which is, you know, provides extremely damning information about the internal conversations that this group had and what they were planning, it, it, go, it gets so specific as to the types of terror attacks that they were, that they were considering doing, how the leader himself had, had framed these, had framed terrorism as this sort of like semi-legal thing, always doing it in the hypothetical, uh, the exchange of, you know, bomb making manuals to then, to then finally you, you, you kind of reach this point where there's this fine line between them being trolls and online talkers of mm -hmm. bullshit and terrorism and it starts to actually get into the real world and you see them evolve into an actual IRL insurgency against the US government and eventually the FBI made several several raids uh, across the country in January and February and arrested seven or eight of them and and now they're they're still members at large there's still there's still stories to be told around them but yeah it's it, really I think it's if you're wondering what this looks like, if you're wondering what far-right terrorists look like, this is the story for you. Yeah, sounds like a great place to start if uh, you really want to understand what's going on in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with Donald Trump, uh, you know, refusing to condemn white supremacy, how dangerous that is. Uh, this is why. This is uh, groups like this is why people need to pay attention and keep um, keep everyone accountable on that front. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lozo, for the second time round. 
Uh, I'm sure I'll have you again a thousand more times on this this pod, this podcast. Anytime. It's always my pleasure. As usual, Forza Juve. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.